I started last week, and I didn't really mean for it to be a series, but there's so much to share, I don't have time. So it'll turn into one Sunday after another, et cetera. So I started talking about humility. How many know it is a day for humility? Yeah, so I want to talk about that again. Last week, uh, uh, God really changed me from what I had planned to share. We talked about national humility and uh, went back to the book of Daniel. In fact, one of our men's, uh, men's times on Tuesdays, we, uh, uh, we actually read the whole uh, uh, chapter, Daniel chapter 4, at the very end of the meeting because of the conversation we had. And that's the kind of meetings we had. And uh, it was really poignant and uh, really affected me. Uh, Daniel 4, um, Nebuchad- King Nebuchadnezzar, I mentioned this last Sunday, uh, had, a, had a dream, uh, uh, and, and anyway, the interpretation was that he was going to uh, act like an animal, and he did for seven years, and ate, ate grass just like the wild animals in the field, and uh, because he was haughty, he had become proud, he had become aloof, and uh, uh, didn't think he needed anybody's help, he became his own, so to speak, God, the judgment came on his life, and uh, the very end of that, uh, God uh, had a, a tremendous word for this very, very proud king. Kings in that time were very, very proud people, pompous. Uh, their word uh, meant everything, and they, they always said something, and somebody made it happen. But he was humbled, and he said this, Daniel four thirty-seven. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all of whose works are truth, his uh, ways justice, and those who walk in pride. He's able to put down. Wow, what a word, what a word. So we talked about national humility last week. I, uh, you know, I've, I've, you know, this is my 63rd year of life. I'm into it right now. And uh, a lot of people are saying basically what I'm about to say, never seen it like this in our nation. Our nation's in trouble. How many smell the trouble? It's everywhere. And you can't, you can't get away from it, whether you're at the gas pump or the grocery store or just seeing the things that are happening worldwide, it's really scary. I don't know if you realize, I uh, just read an article yesterday. Um, ah, boy, this is tough to say. Did you know in the background the U.S. military is preparing for nuclear war? Have you heard that yet? If you haven't, it's because the news media is crickets about it. They say absolutely nothing. Now, I have more I could share, but I'm not. I'm just saying we're in a really strange time and let me just say that we're in a time, it looks like just before Jesus comes back again, as I listen to podcasts and others uh, who are, you know, in ministry, and we're all kind of tooting the same horn and saying that it looks like we, we really could be the generation that sees Jesus come back. In fact, one guy is really bold and says, we will see Jesus come back. Are you ready for that time? So uh, I know everybody's like, really? Yeah, yeah. Are you ready? Are you ready for the life changes that brings? See, it gets quiet when we talk about it, right? But it is reality. And uh, so uh, Jesus' first coming, he came as a lamb of sacrifice. He came in an obscure way. Jesus was born in a, in a, in a, in a barn, and his body was placed in a feeding trough, and he was a baby in an animal's feeding trough. Very humble. But when he comes back the second time, won't be quite so humble. He'll come as a bold lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he comes, and, and he defeats literally the enemies of the kingdom of God, and and displaces them and then brings up and sets up his kingdom. We're in the middle of that because Jesus' coming, second coming, is typified, people don't realize it, is typified by judgment. In fact, uh, I won't get into the weeds much on this except to say there is a man, the Bible terms in the book of 1 John, Antichrist, because he's against Christ, against the anointing, against he's against God and his the way he wants us to live. So he's anti-Christian, you could say, anti-Christ. And um, uh, he's going to be a very proud man, very pompous, very arrogant, and uh, be everything that you don't want to be as a believer. Um, that, that's going to rise up, and that attitude is here. So, so when judgment comes, it's really there's going to be a, a huge judgment against the pride of man. Did you hear what I just said? So that's, so that's the reason, so I'm getting into what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about personal humility, and Jesus is our example. The question that, you know, all of us should ask ourselves, what areas of life am I proud in? What kinds of pride do I have to deal with in my life? See, now's the time to judge the pride in our lives because we're in a time of judgment, and that some of that judgment is going to be judgment against the pride, pride of Satan, the pride of the Antichrist, then the pride of man in general. How many hear me say 
you know, it's, it's a good day to deal with pride. How many hear what I'm saying? Isaiah 57, 15, I mentioned this. God gave me this as an 18-year-old boy, fresh into the kingdom of God, just came to Jesus. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And then, then here's one that's really a challenge. This is Jeremiah. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet, and he prophesied during the time that Israel was really in rebellion against God. And Jeremiah prophesied in the time just before judgment came against Israel, before they were uh, uh, taken off of their land by the Babylonians. And Jeremiah's ministry was a tough ministry. Um, he had some really tough things that happened to him. But he said this, Jeremiah nine twenty three. thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For I delight, in these I delight, says the Lord. Wow. So he's saying don't trust yourself. Don't think you're smart enough, wise enough to do life without God. And in a lot of ways, that's what's happened in America. We've taken the blessings of God and we thought by our own wisdom, our own acumen, our own ability, our own skill, that we are blessed and we're favored and we're so opulently prosperous above most of the nations of the world. It's a sad demise that we see happening in America today. Then one last scripture, Acts three nineteen through 21, says this, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send Jesus Christ who preached, we pre was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things. That's what happens with the second coming of Christ, which God has spoken by the mouth of all of his holy prophets since the world began. But, but he starts there by saying, Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Before, and, and uh, you know, I've got two courses in my schooling, uh, two courses on the history of, of revival in the Christian church, and I've said this so many times, but every time in the church age from the time that Jesus was raised from the dead until now, every time there has been a revival, so to speak, a fresh moving of the Holy Spirit among a people group, anywhere in the world it's always been typified, first of all, by some, in some way, some demise, some declension, something going down, some difficulty, some challenge, always has been. And that's the reason this kind of pricked my interest when it says, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Uh, I just have a feeling we're going into a really challenging moment in human history just before Jesus comes back. God wants to, us to prepare for that by humbling ourselves. So instead of saying the word uh, humility or humble, he says, repent therefore and be converted. The very act of repentance is a humbling experience. You understand? So... Uh, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So I, I believe there is a moving of the Holy Spirit that's coming on the world, and uh, uh, we should be excited about that. But the number one thing we need to deal with, and I know God's dealing with me as a pastor, He's wanting us to deal with the personal pride in our lives. So, so here's the question. The overarching question is, what area of life are you ruling and you're in charge of and you've not yet surrendered to Jesus? Now, my friend, those are areas of pride. Did you hear me? See, see, it gets quiet when you talk about this because it's very, very personal. All of us have to deal with pride. In fact, 1 John 2, 15, the, uh, all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And then it says the pride of life. One translation says the boastful pride of life. So pride is part of the human frame. And pride, I think, came with original sin with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. All of us have to deal with pride. Me personally, I've, I've had to deal with pride in my life. Oh, Father God, so, so, so very much. I, I'm not too excited to share some of these things, but God led me uh, just to share how God's had to deal with pride in my own life. Today is a day to repent of personal pride. So again, the overarching question as I share a few of these things is what areas of your life do you need to allow God to deal with your pride in? 
Is it in your marriage? Is it in your relationships? Is it in your vocation? Is it in your business? Is it in your job? Is it in your family relationships? Is it with your children, your grandchildren? What area of life is it your personal, is it your personal looks or what, what is it, what areas of pride are you wrestling with in your own life? It's a deep question, is it? I, um, God's been messing with me about pride for, for so long and, uh, you know, I, I, I began to learn when I was young, um, uh, this, that first scripture, Isaiah 57, I told you last week I'd get in my bedroom and, and I really, I put my head on the floor and said, Lord, I humble myself and, and now, even now when I pray, I, um. I have a place I pray upstairs. I've told you that so many times. And I start my prayer. In fact, this morning I got up early and, you know, I just put my head in my hands and kneel at a chair. So, God, I, Lord, I humble myself to you. You know, we're so full of pride and we don't want to admit. And, and see, the pride, pr- proud person doesn't realize they're proud. <laughs> you don't even realize it's a pr- Everybody can see it but you. That's the way pride is. Everybody can see it but you. You can't see the pride in the mirror. You, you, somebody else has to see it and show you and tell you. And, and the only way we see it is, is if God shows us or he takes us through a process of humbling. And I want to submit there may be those in the room who, like me, have gone through a process of humbling. That's not fun. But sometimes it's necessary for you uh, to fulfill the purposes of God for your life. I, I really don't like to tell this one, but I'll tell it tell it myself. You know, uh, by, by, uh, by age 23, I graduated from my second Bible school Susan and I were living in Oklahoma uh, after um, graduating from the second Bible school. Both of us attended. I attended one more after that. But anyway, um, and right after Bible school, you know, I was ready to take bull by the horns. I was ready to go win the world for Jesus and be the consummate pastor and man of God and whatever. And I was just looking for opportunities. And, uh, and uh, let me just say it this way. I started ministry out of the will of God. It's just great to say there's nowhere but up if you start at the bottom, right? So, I mean, really. So, I uh, graduated from Bible school, and I did what you should never do, and I, I teach on how to be led by the Holy Spirit. I think it, hopefully it's still on our website, but um, I got a whole series on that, hearing the voice of God and the details of life. And one thing you don't want to do is do what Gideon did. Gideon, uh, when God told him that he was going to lead Israel out of uh, being dominated by their enemy, uh, he said, I can't believe you just used me because Gideon, in his own mind, was raised on the wrong side of the tracks, had no ability or skill of his own. And God said, no, Gideon, you're the man that's going to lead it. He said, you got the wrong guy. Listen, you, you're looking, put some glasses on God. God said, no, you're the man. He said, well, I don't believe it, so, so prove it to me. So he got, he's got some sheepskin out and, and put the wool on the ground and said, you know, uh, here's, here's the skin. If you're really talking to me, uh, if the dew is on this skin and it's dry on the ground, you talk to me. And it happened just the way he prayed. Now listen, if you've got to find a carnal way to hear God, you're really carnal. You're flesh ruled. You're not very spiritual. Daniel was, I mean, uh, uh, Gideon was not spiritual when he did that. He said, okay, God, huh, okay, okay. Then reverse this thing. There's, there, there's no dew on the, on the wool and, uh, and, uh, and, and all, all around is dew or vice versa, whatever I said the first time. And it happened just the same way again. And so he knew that God was speaking to him. Well, I kind of did a similar thing. That is not the way to hear God. As many as are led by the Holy Spirit are children of God, right? Romans eight fourteen. You got to listen on the inside and know that God's speaking. Well, when I started ministry, I said, God, if you want me to go and do this and be an associate pastor of a church in my hometown, let this and this and this happen, this and this happened, and this happened. And I surmised it was the will of God, and I got right out of the will of God by looking at circumstances instead of listening inside. How many hear what I just said? That's a whole message right in and of itself. So I started ministry out of the will of God, uh, October, October 25th, 1981. I literally, that's the Sunday I started ministry. So that would be, what, 41 years this year. And I started outside of God's purpose and plan for my life. So uh, anyway, I, I was associate pastor of the church. I worked a job. Susan worked. Uh, and uh, anyway, when you're out of the will of God, I need to mention this. Kenneth Hagin says it best. He's got a book, How You Can Be Led by the Spirit of God. And I lived in Tulsa for eight years and heard him say this many times personally. He'd say, when you're not doing what God's called you to do and when you're out of God's will for you, it's, it's sort of like taking a shower with your socks on. That doesn't feel right, right? So 
I just want you to know I took a lot of showers with my socks on, so to speak. And it's just, life didn't feel right. In fact, every Sunday I'm telling Susan, say, Susan, something just ain't right. She makes the best sweet tea in South Carolina at the time. So we'd eat supper, you know, I mean, uh, dinner after Sunday service. And I remember time after time lifting that tea glass up saying, that's good tea. And I say, I'm miserable. I'm just miserable. When you're not in the will of God, you can never be satisfied. I don't care what you're doing. Did you hear me? Money won't satisfy. Flesh won't satisfy. Nothing will satisfy you if you're not in the plan of God. You are ill at ease at all times out of the will of God. I'm talking to somebody today. You're out of the will of God. I don't know if you're in the room or online. But you know I'm talking to you. You need to get it straight. And the Lord will love you and help you back. Anyway, during this time, God taught me a big lesson on pride. So uh, anyway, the big deal was I was out of the will of God. But you know, how many know God will even use you if you're out of the will of God? Uh, people were coming to Jesus. People were being ministered to. I was laying hands on people to be healed. And, you know, ministered every Sunday night. It really, helped, it really helped me develop what I do now, preach and teach. And, um, you know, even though you're out of the will of God, some good things can happen. But that was the way it was. And, um, but anyway, during this time, one real humbling thing happened to me. And, and God really spoke to me through this uh, I don't really like to tell this story, but anyway, I'd been there a month or so in that position as associate pastor of that little church, and um, my dad, um, uh, in fact, uh, my, I was raised in a Southern Baptist church, Mizpah Baptist Church, um, in, in one of the communities around Florence, South Carolina. Anyway, um, uh, my dad called me and said, well, Mitch, and he mentioned a lady that, that attended church when I was a little boy all my life, or she had children, that, you know, hung out with him and such, and um, they were a little bit older than me. But nonetheless, he said, Miss uh, um, So-and-So's son called and would like for you to go pray with her. She's having some problems. And since I'm, you know, an associate pastor, of course, yeah, sure, I'll go, go talk with her, pray with her. I went to her house, knocked on the door. She, she was very polite, winsome, friendly. And, uh, you know, I come in, sit down for a few minutes and just begin to talk with her. Well, I ministered to her for a couple of hours. And I just shared and shared my heart and and she really got ministered to, really had quite an experience with the Lord. And, uh, and you know, I said my goodbyes and such. And she was so kind and friendly. And, and I left. I thought that was just a really good meeting. Well, I was visiting my dad a couple of days later. And we were in his yard. He had a, a, a garage over here and then his house. And we were in the yard right here just kind of hanging out talking. And, uh, and he said, Mitch, I, I got something to tell you. I said, what is He said, you know. You know, Miss So-and-So, you ministered to a couple of days ago. I said, I said, yeah. He said, well, I just want you to know what you said to her. I didn't say this first service, but now she's in the mental hospital. I said, what? Yeah, you were too strong. What? Yeah, you said too much. I said, oh. Now, now listen, listen to this. So, so during that time, you know, I had this air about me because I'd been to two Bible schools. I have theology right here in my head. I know. I was smarter than my daddy, smarter than my mama. I knew more than the people around me. And y'all, when my daddy told me that, standing in that yard, I can't, it felt like a dagger going right into my heart. So, I mean, it, it pricked the balloon of my pride so hard. I'll never forget the moment I wept. I mean, I, y'all, I wept. I boohooed and laid my head on my daddy's shoulder and he put his big arms and paws around me and my daddy said, Mitch, it'll be all right, son. Yes, you failed, but you'll be okay. You'll get back up. Y'all, when you st- I was 23 years old when that happened. You know, when you have things like that happen, it just affects you and you never, ever forget. How many hear me? So I'm, I'm sure I'm talking to people and you've had personal things that have happened that have had to lay your personal pride low. Let me just tell you, it's better for it to happen when you're young than when you're older because it'll cost you more when you're older. Yes or no? So if you've had these kinds of experiences, it just means the Lord loves you because whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. Yes or no? Hebrews 12 is really clear. So... Uh, 19, uh, 1995, I mentioned this last week, January of 1995, it was a brisk evening, cold in Oklahoma, they always had a wind blowing in Tulsa, Oklahoma, is always a wind in between two mountain ranges, and it was cold, but it, and it was cold because there was a clear sky, and uh, I could see the stars were so bright and twinkly, and 
and the moon was so bright. And I mentioned first service tonight, but tonight there's going to be a bright moon, but it's a blood moon. I just read a NASA article this morning, 11.29 p.m. to 12.53 a.m. If you look up in the sky, the atmospheric issues will create a blood moon, a red moon. Now that historically is a really bad omen for any nation it appears over. So I won't even touch that one. Yeah, you go figure that one out. Do, do some Googling or duck, duck going and uh, check that out. Interest. Anyway, sky was bright. Moon was white, beautiful, silver. And I'm walking and I'm praying because I love to walk and pray. And the Lord uh, said three things to me. And I mentioned this last week, but let me give you the weeds, the details. Um, uh, so I'm praying, you know, and, and talking to the Lord about life. And Susan and I just had our first child. And uh, I was on staff at a very large church. had about 5,000 people at the time. And I was in charge of one of the ministries in the church. And, and a bit overwhelmed. I felt like I was going to lose my job every day. And I just had to pray, oh, God, please help me not to do it wrong today. Because I really, it was us like, I'm not ready for this. It was a bit overwhelming. I was 25 years old at the time. Anyway, uh, as I was praying, I, I felt the Lord said, Mitch, I'm going to send you to Pioneer Church. I walked. Now, pioneering a church in the 80s is different than pioneering a church today. Today, you get an organization to back you up. They'll pay you an annual, a couple of years salary. They'll give you some people to run your children's ministry, to do your praise and worship, to do your, you know, to do your child, uh, youth ministry. And, and, you know, some people to help you and have a, a group of families usually go to a community store. That's not the way it was in the 80s. You just went cold turkey, man. You just went by yourself. You get on your horse, you get your stuff, and you by yourself. So Susan and I moved to this small town called Mullins, South Carolina. How many have ever heard of Mullins? You know Mullins? Oh, it's a small town, about 6,000 people. We had 5,000 people in our church in Tulsa. We had half a million people in Tulsa proper. Big old place. And... um so it was uh, humbling in a lot of ways, really, really challenging. Uh, so God said, I'm going to send you to Pioneer Church, and I did three and a half years later. So how many know when God says something to you, he doesn't mean that you're going to do it right now. Don't forget that God, there is no time with God from everlasting to everlasting your God. So when you're praying and you feel things, it may be something that may happen in your future, but it may not be anytime soon. That's where people get into trouble. That's how I got in, out of the will of God. I felt like I was supposed to go ahead and be an associate pastor, but I was green and not ready. So again, God can speak to you. So January of 1995, the first thing God said to me is, I'm going to send you to Pioneer Church, and he did. September of 1988, Susan and I embarked on that journey, and she had... Uh, we had two children and one on the way. One was born that coming December. So uh, the Masters and Johnson stress test that psychologists have, and I had it as a, as a counselor. Oh, my goodness, I, I, I knocked that one out of the park. I mean, I had every stressor except for death and divorce. I had it in my life. So anyway, second thing God said, and I didn't like this one and, and didn't want to acknowledge it or admit it, uh, he said to me, January 1985, Mitch, I'm going to send you to Pioneer Church. Okay. Um, now here's the second thing he said. Mitch, I'm going um, to deal with the root of pride in you. Now, nobody wants to hear God say that to them, I promise you. For God to say he's going to deal with the root of pride means that you, you've not done it right yet. Right? Third thing he said was, I'm going to teach you how to trust me for finances. Well, what's the offshoot of that? Well, you're going to have a financial struggle is what's going to happen. I wasn't excited about that. So, you know, when the Lord said those three things to me, I wasn't excited about the pastoring coming because on the heels of that comes the dealing with the pride and the financial stuff. I said, well, okay, whatever. Three and a half years later, uh, we're, we're, we're in the thick of it. And even though, you know, I would pray and say, God, I humble myself, I still wasn't good at humbling me. There's a lot of pride, prideful things about me. And God used this time in my life um, to, uh, to deal with this root of pride. And let me just give you the story of kind of how that worked out. Um, uh, so I started the church, got it going. And uh, that's another story in and of itself. I know it's not really the reason I'm telling the story. 
started the church, stayed there a couple of years, got it off the ground, and then God led me to turn it over to somebody that lived in that community who was already trained as a pastor, and amazingly, there was a guy that had been to Bible school just waiting to start a church in that town, and I turned my church over to him. That's amazing. I, it was supernatural. I don't know what else to say, and I, it's another story I don't have time to tell right now, but uh, so I went into a traveling ministry, and I traveled for a couple of years. Uh, Kenneth Hagin, that, that's one of the Bible schools I went to, said uh, every pastor should be a traveling minister for two years. That way you'll learn how to treat traveling ministers. You've got to be really called to not be at home a lot. I just tell you, it was tough. And uh, so I preached on the weekends. And then, um, and then he also said every traveling minister ought to pastor two years. So they'd know what not to say in somebody else's pulpit, you know. So anyway, um, so I was in this traveling ministry thing, and I, I wanted to make some money, you know, during the week. I had, you know, a small family. We had three children. Life was a big challenge. You spend a lot of money with each child. How many understand that already, right? And then when you have grandkids, you still spend a lot of money. We found that out. We got eight of them. So, you know, anyway, um, so um, I was praying one morning. One July, and uh, I was, uh, was 32 years of age, and I'm praying, and, you know, you just want to hear really good things from the Lord when you pray, but I finished praying, and I heard the Lord saying to me, Mitch, I want you to paint. I said, whoa, 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 say, say that one again. Well, I said, what do you mean you heard the Lord? Right here, inside me, I had the impression the word paint rose up. So what do you mean? Now, I'm not an artist. I mean, I can't even draw a straight line. Paint? He said, I ain't talking about being an artist. I'm talking about painting houses. Oh, oh, no. I wouldn't even talk to him about it because I had some predispositions about quote-unquote painters. And if you're a painter in the room, I know you have a good job and I know you probably make really good money. Uh, but here's my, my, at that point, I had a prideful disposition about painters. You want to know what I thought about painters? It wasn't good. I thought painters were either alcoholics or preachers that couldn't preach. Well, I said, I'm neither one of those. What you doing talking to me about starting a painting business? Now, again, if you're a painter, I know you're an upright person. You do a good job. You work really hard. And that my judgments are completely ludicrous. I get that, and I understand that. There may be a percentage of that that's true, but certainly not the whole. And it was certainly the wrong. It was certainly a bad judgment. But nonetheless, he wouldn't leave me alone. God said, I want you to paint. I said, huh uh no, I got the wrong guy. So you know what I did? I had a friend, his name's Steve. His brother uh, worked for the uh, uh, any uh, insurance adjustment firm nationwide and, and, and actually lived in a, in a travel, one of those travel things and, uh, and made a lot of, I mean, really made a lot of money. And then my friend Steve got his business degree in college. He's the one that led me to the Lord. And, um, and he became an insurance adjuster. He called me right when the Lord said pain. And said, Mitch, I got a proposition for you. I just knew it was God. He said, I want you to come and be an insurance adjuster. You got to get your insurance adjuster's license. I said, man, my, my little brain said, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's got some prestige. Yeah, an insurance adjuster. Yeah. So I forgot about this thing where God said paint. And I, he said, we well, got to go to school, take a few courses. Then you got to take a state test and get your insurance adjuster's license. Insurance adjusting is after something happens to your home, somebody comes and adjusts the claim to determine how much the insurance can, company can give you after you pay your deductible. And so uh, Hurricane Hugo had just hit South Carolina the year before, and so there was a big demand, and my friend Steve was overly busy. It had damaged so many houses. Hurricane Hugo, you know, came up from Charleston, went straight up to Charlotte and just did huge damage in South Carolina. So I had a lot of work, and he paid me so much per claim and so I put on my nice stuff, and I was crawling on people's houses adjusting insurance. And in the middle of that, God said, you not did what, you've not done what I said. I said, paint. I said, no, no, this is good. This is good. This is good. Great way to help, you know, augment my income as I travel on the way. No, that's not what I said. Paint. Now, y'all got to know something about me. I uh, had a briefcase. Uh, here's me. I had hair at the time, and I know, right? <laughs> I just polish it every morning now. Uh, every hair was in place. Every hair. Not one hair was out of place. It's smoothed back. I mean, I'm just, you know, here I am, prim and proper. I had a mustache. It's, it's groomed to perfection every day. I, I made sure it was cut just a certain way. They were in vogue at the time. Not now necessarily. If you've got a 
mustache, I think you're great. So anyway, and, uh, and then our three-piece suits were, were the rage at the time. So I had this three-piece suit, and I had several of them, you know, so I've got my briefcase, and, and here I am. If you can see me, I get out of my car that doesn't have a speck of dust or any dirt in it anywhere, and here I am. I'm the man of God. And, you know, so God says to me, the man of God, paint. I said, well, let me, let me so, so I had to do what it started, the painting thing, October of, uh, of that year. And, uh, you know, actually, it became really successful. Actually, I was in Waycross, Georgia, doing an a extended meeting in a church and got a call from my wife. And she said, Mitch, well, I've been looking in the mail. You got 12, you've got 12 estimates accepted right now. And it was just me working. So I had to go home. We hired several people, and then the business took off. And, you know, we made good money, and God was good. And, and see, that's history. But, but, see, God told me to paint. So here's the crux to this. The reason I told this is that I, um, there's one day I was, uh, I was painting uh, a, a stippled ceiling in a house. The person that somebody had bought the house and the previous owner had smoked and all the ceilings were, were you know, orange. And uh, so I had to go paint the stippled ceiling and they didn't put it on right and part of the stipple would fall off as I was painting it and it fell on me. So while I'm painting it, I'm doing this and I'm doing this, you know, with a roll of paint and a thing and uh and that stuff's falling, and I'm, I'm, I'm a pokey-dotted painter. So uh, I could put a sign on my car, pokey-dotted paint. And then this guy called me that same day, and a, a, a contractor, and had a new house, and didn't have anybody to paint. He wanted me to come and give him an estimate. I said, sure. So, so he said, I want you to come now, and I was pokey-dotted, white, all over me. So I get out of my van. I walk up into his house. He says, uh, you're Mitch Hartner? I said, I am. Excellence Painting Services. How can I help you? And here's what he said, y'all. Ah, stick the knife in again, Twisty. He said, you always look like that. Do you know what that did to me? I was so humiliated. It was rid- I said, oh, God. And here's what I said. God, what are you saying? What are you doing? Why are you doing this in my life? Why? 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 Fast forward. Uh, not too long after that, it's a hot July day. In fact, I looked at the weather. I have a specific mind. It's 97 degrees that day. I'm on top of a, a tall ladder on the side of a house, and uh, it had really hard, old, white paint, and I had to get a grinder and grind it off, and it's nasty work. It's grueling. It's just hard. You can make money, but it's hard. It's terrible. So I got a big mask on, so I want to ingest the flecks of paint. And I'm pure white everywhere. Uh, only skin color is where the mask is, right here. Everything else on me is white. And man, I'm sweating bullets. It's terrible. And I'm thinking, God, why, why am I here? What are you doing? So you may be here, and you wonder why you're going through something. And maybe God messing with your life. Maybe you're not where you think you want to be. Maybe you're not satisfied with what you're doing. It could be the hand of the Lord working in your life to deal with your own personal stuff. I mean, hear what I'm saying. So I had earbuds in, and we had a Christian radio station, 91.5. I still remember the call letters. Um, and a Christian station from Columbia, South Carolina. And I actually took a picture of this. Here we go, the lyrics. So these lyrics came on. I'm up on the ladder I stopped the grinder momentarily, and the moment I did, I heard Steve Green. This is, this is 1990. Actually, it's 1991, like July or August of 1991. And here's what I heard in my ear. Hear the lyrics. If the struggle you're facing is slowly replacing your hope with despair, or the process is long, and you're losing your song in the night, you can be sure that the Lord has his hand on you, safe and secure. He will never abandon you. You are his treasure, and he finds his pleasure in you. And I begin to weep. I mean, I put my, you know, I have my cord, you know, to my grinder, I'm weeping. And then he keeps singing, He who began a good work in you. Sing it again. He who began a good work in you, he'll be faithful to complete it. 
He'll be faithful to complete it. He who started the work will be faithful to complete it in you. I had some clean places on my face where the tears were flowing. And I said, God, I, I don't know your purpose in me and being on this ladder in this misery. I feel like John on the Isle of Patmos. But if this is, here's what I said, it broke me. Something broke in me that day. And I said, God, if this is your will for me to do this kind of work and look nasty where people deride me and I don't look like I want to look and I'm not doing what I want to do and I'm actually miserable, Lord, I would rather do this and be in your will than pastor the largest church in the world. I would prefer. I'd rather be a doorkeeper, I said, at the house of my God than to dwell in tents of wickedness. And you know what? Something changed that moment. That moment something broke in me. And y'all, it was this pride. It says, I gotta be this. I gotta have this image. I gotta do it this way. How many know what I'm talking about? And I don't know about you. You can't see that about yourself. Uh, maybe Susan saw it in me. Maybe my friends saw it. But I couldn't see the own, my own pride. And I couldn't see... What he had created in me. I'd already thought I'd been on staff at a large church. I had started my own church. I'd been in a traveling ministry. God had to take me through this process of me seeing my own pride before I could ever come here and pastor Victory Church. How many hear what I'm saying? And see, God wants to do a work in every single one of us to where to where regardless of who you are or what your vocation or call is in life, you're not doing it in your own strength. And you're not doing it to bring attention to you. The only attention that you want to bring is attention to the Lord Jesus. And you want to do what you do is unto the Lord for the glory of God. And I say, God, if you want me to do this the rest of my life, I'll be happy and I'll have a smile. It changed. Before then, my jaw was set. I was aggravated every day. And if you find yourself in the room or watching and you're frustrated, you're aggravated, and you don't know why, God may be talking to you. And he may, he may be seeking to deal with you. And like, and like Saul, who later became Paul, you're kicking against the goads. You're kicking against God dealing with you. Jesus had to blind Saul, who later became Paul, with a blinding light of his visage. And he said, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting when you persecute my people. And he had to humble him. And he went blind for a few days and then got his sight back and then threw away his reputation. Those things that were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. And we're living in a day right now, y'all, seriously. God wants to deal with our personal pride. How many hear me? Anything that has pride attached to it right now, we're going into a time worldwide of judgment, anything with pride attached to it, because pride has to do with the Antichrist. The Antichrist will be a person typified by great pride, arrogance, bombacity, whatever you want to call it. And that whole attitude is here and it's strong. Anything in me or you that has bespeaks pride, you know, judgment could be attached to it in some way. So that's the reason, how many hear me? We need, to, we need to deal with the pride in our lives. Yes or no? How many hear when I say, so God, one more scripture I want to share. Jesus gives us a really, really good, uh, a good example of, of how to humble ourselves. How many know Jesus pre-existed that little baby in the manger? You already know that. What I want to share with you real quickly here I don't have a lot of time left. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 just mentions how, how powerful he is. Actually, one scripture, i got two. Uh, it says here, uh, he existed before anything was created, Colossians 1.15, and is supreme over all creation. For through him, that is Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see, the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, authorities. In the unseen world, everything was created uh, through him and for him, he existed before anything else and holds all creation together. That's a pretty powerful guy, would you say? And then John saw him in his glorified state after Jesus had been with the disciples for three and a half years, died, was raised from the dead, ascended to heaven. John's on the Isle of Patmos and he had a, has a vision and Jesus appears. The Jesus that he walked with 
for three and a half years appears to him nothing like he was, nothing like he was. Standing in the middle of the lampstands with someone, John said, like the Son of Man, Revelation 1.13. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash. His hair was white like wool, as, as white as snow. His eyes were like flames of fire. His feet like polished bronze, refined in a, a furnace, and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. This powerful guy, he was in his glorified state. John wasn't used to seeing Jesus that way. He, he was just like him. You get it? And then there was one time, I skipped this one, but Matthew 17, uh, Jesus was on top of a high mountain with Peter, James, and John, and he's just standing there and said, come here, boys, come gather in, gather in, gather in. And he's just standing there one day saying, I want to show you something. And Jesus lights up like a light bulb. <laughs> From the inside out, can't you see it? I mean, just bright white light. I mean, his skin lights up. Everybody goes, whoa. Everybody goes, whoa, whoa. For one moment, God let the glory that he had before he came as the Son of God show up in his life. Amazing. John saw it on the Isle of Patmos. The disciples saw it one time. But this Jesus shows us how to be humble. Y'all okay? We're about done. Let me read this. Y'all okay? You sure? Listen, the Amplified New Testament, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, Bible scholars call this the kenosis of Christ. The Greek word here uh, for emptying is the word kenu. It means literally to empty out, to abase, um, to be left with nothing. Let the same attitude and purpose and humble mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. Let him be your example in humility, who although being essentially one with God and in the form of God, possessing the fullness of the attributes which make God God, did not think this equality with God was a thing to be eagerly grasped or retained, but stripped himself, there's that word kenu, of all privileges and rightful dignity to his assume the guise of a servant or slave, in that he became like men and was born a human being. And after he appeared in human form, he abased and humbled himself still further, carried his obedience to the extreme of death, even the death of the cross, therefore, because he stooped so low, God's highly exalted him, and has freely bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at, in or at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, earth, under the earth, and that every tongue frankly and openly confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, so see, Jesus gave us an example. He had the pomp and circumstance of heaven behind him. I mean, he, cre he, he, he created the, the universe with his words. And he upholds everything by the power of his words. And he came and stooped so low that he come and live inside a human body that he himself created. And then he allowed himself to be governed by all the laws of physics and all the laws that, that affect us as human beings. He lived in a fallen world as a man that relying only and solely on God, his word, and the Holy Spirit to help him. And as he is, so are we in this world, right? So he gives us an example. So he gave us a tremendous uh, example of humility. So as we close today, I, I want to encourage you in this. Um, what areas of your life is pride attached to? So as we close, I, I want to do this. It won't take long. Uh, uh, Joshua, come on up here. I, I want to make these steps right here. Let's call them an altar. Years ago in churches, we had altars where people would come and kneel and pray. How many understand the concept? If you're, if you're new to Christianity, you've never seen anything like that, probably, because we don't do that in church anymore. But you know what? We're getting away from a fundamental of life, in my view. We need to humble ourselves. So what areas of your life? Our pride attached to. I want to give you an opportunity as we close to place your personal areas of pride at Jesus' feet and to place your life in his hands in a fresh way. So, again, is personal pride keeping you from what God has for you? Is pride hindering your marriage? Is it hindering your relationship with your children, your grandchildren? Is it hindering your business, your vocation, whatever it may be? Is it keeping you from progressing spiritually? Is it, is it, the, is it the, 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 the cog that's not turning in your relationships? Is it challenging how you live life and how you relate to others? What is it? What is it with you? What's keeping you from being what God called you to be? Pride's always a selfish thing. We're thinking about us instead of God and others. It should be we think about Jesus first. 
then we think about how we can help others and we put ourselves last. We often reverse that and put ourselves first. And then put others before God and put Him last. Today, if you do that, you're going to get into trouble. That's the bottom line. So maybe you're here today and maybe you need to make it right with God. Maybe you need to humble yourself. Say, God, I've been doing life on my own, hoofing on my own. You're frustrated, you're unsatisfied, you're dissatisfied with yourself, and you know you are. Jesus is calling your name. Or maybe you're here and you know the Lord, but you know what? You need to humble yourself. Let's do it in a fresh way today. I want to encourage you to come right up. Get up right now. Come out of your seat and come and kneel with me. I'll kneel right here with you. And come on right down here to the steps. And, and less quickly, we'll just take a couple of minutes. What areas of life do you need to humble yourself? If you don't do it, you don't want, you don't want God to have to do it. Do it yourself. Come on down. I encourage you. Just a couple of minutes. And go ahead and talk to the Lord about you. Ask Him. Come on. I encourage you to come. I'm going to take this stool right here and kneel down just like you and ask God to work in me in a fresh way. I encourage you to come on. And, and Joshua, while we're, while we're doing that, y'all cut the lights down if you can. Somebody in the back, back there, if you can cut the lights down. I think that'd be a great thing. We'll close in just a couple of minutes. But right now, if you're older, you've got to really watch getting on your knees. I get it. Go ahead, brother. Father God, ourselves in Jesus' name. Oh, dear Father God, help us to talk to you from our hearts right now in Jesus' name. Go ahead, brother. Talk to Jesus, I surrender all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily I surrender singing. Pull your heart out, y'all. Yes. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Sing it with it. Thank you for ministering life to each one of us on our face, on our knees. We worship you, sir. So say it out loud with me. Heavenly Father, in a fresh way right now, I yield myself to you. Any area of my life, thank you for speaking to me. I humble myself to you. Help me to learn how to walk with you. Not to build myself up, but to build Jesus up. I place my life in your hands, in a fresh way. Jesus, I give you permission. Work in every area of my life in a fresh way, in Jesus' name. And Lord, I just pray over all of us. Lord, for our nation, we humble ourselves for a miracle. Lord, we pray for a move of God. We pray for revival in this nation, Lord. Lord, I pray for all of us in every area of our lives. Lord, the self-centered areas that we can't see, thank you for exposing them to us so we can give it to you and seek you first instead of ourselves first. Lord, for marriages in the room, thank you for drawing us to yourself. Lord, we humble ourselves in our role in our marriage, whether we're husband or wife. Thank you for drawing us away from self-centered thinking and living. With our children, 
Lord, thank you for drawing us away from this pride thing when our, when our kids make a mistake and we get on them so harshly. Forgive us, Lord, because it's really pride when we do that. Help us to love our children and nurture them in Jesus' name. Lord, in our relationships, in our business life, in our vocational life, Lord, I ask you, draw us to yourself in the name of Jesus. Draw us to you. Lord, we humble ourselves in our business life, in our work life. Lord, the frustrating areas, the frustrating things we place in your hands. Thank you for working in us, in our friends, in our, in our, in our social life. Lord, thank you for drawing us away from the distractions and sometimes the arrogance where we want to brag on this or that. Thank you for drawing us away from these things. In Jesus' name. Lord, give you thanks. We give you thanks. We give you thanks. Y'all stand up on your feet. Turn the lights up. Glory to God. You know, this is something that you've got to work out every single day. And again, sometimes you just really can't see. I, I do want to mention this. I put this on my Facebook page, and I mentioned this for service. But as we close, you know, I was coming back from a, uh, I had a, a leadership meeting in Atlanta, Georgia last week. I was driving back. I drove. It was just for some free head time so I could think. But anyways, I was uh, just gotten in South Carolina. I was in, I think, Greenville area on I-85. And I uh, you know, there was a wreck right, I mean, right in front of my truck. There was a terrible accident. I mean, really bad. The guy got injured. And um, right behind me, I looked in the rearview rear view mirror, and here's a here's an 18-wheeler. I mean, I mean, coming towards me, and there was nowhere for me to go. There's no way to escape. No, no, no possible way to escape. I mean, I thought about just gunning the gas, but I was afraid I was going to hit somebody else if I did it. And uh, I said, God, please. And uh, all I know is I looked up one more time in the rearview mirror, and that truck had stopped. I don't know how. The lady driving it. But but I saw then, it, it made me think of how vulnerable life is. How fleeting life is. And it made me really aware, obviously, to be a safer driver, you know. Uh, there were three other cars that had an accident right behind the truck. It was a terrible thing. Uh, it just really affected me. And uh, showed me how, how, how uh, uh, easily life can slip away. You think everything's fine and... What is your life? James said. It's, it's like a puff of smoke, a vapor that appears for a little time and then passes away. We, we get so pompous and arrogant sometimes. And, and we take things for granted. So I just pray that the grace of God rests on all of us and we don't take life for granted, health for granted, what we have for granted. We're going in some challenging times, but you know what? The grace of God's on us. We'll just humble ourselves. 